you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, everybody, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and it's Roger. Well, this episode is all about a great opportunity for lots of the audience. Let's face it, COVID-19 has devastated this business. Some of us are thriving, some of us are barely surviving, some of us have closed permanently, some of us have closed temporarily, most of us have pivoted, right? Well, here's the opportunity. In this episode, I'm speaking with Chef Donna G, and she is the founder of the Personal Chef Network. Now, she has found that there is a huge demand right now for personal chefs in people's residences, private events, catering, all that sort of thing. And the Personal Chef Network and Donna help others do the same thing to create their own personal chef business. We're going to talk all about, you know, how you start and what the clients are looking for, and menus, and food allergies and sensitivities, and how to market this business, how to get out there and find your own opportunity. It's a really great pivot, so you're not going to want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. I'm talking to Chef Donna G. Donna, I'm so happy you're here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So interestingly, I usually begin these conversations asking my guests what their backstory is in hospitality, and yours is certainly extensive. So what were some of your early influences? When did you first start cooking or maybe catch the passion for cooking? Did it start at a young age? Did your mom cook in the kitchen? Did you cook in the kitchen at home? Was it a family thing or you discovered this entirely on your own? It wasn't too much at home. My mother was a great cook, and but she really didn't want anyone in the kitchen with her. Mm-hmm. So kind of like it was always kind of like this hidden secret. Like really, what was going on in there? So I was very curious. And then as I got to be a later teen, I started practicing and you know experimenting with this and that. And then eventually, when I moved out in my early twenties, I was always in the kitchen. I just loved to cook, and then I would just try to absorb any kind of knowledge that I could. I would be reading things and I wanted to know all the culinary terms. So I sounded like professional. (laughs) So did you start with cookbooks or did you start making things from scratch? I did a little bit of both. I had, I have a large cookbook collection, you Mm -hmm. know, and back then there wasn't the internet. So (laughs) I would, uh, yeah, make up stuff from my own, in my own kitchen. Yeah. Now, would you say that was, you know, primarily food or was it also baked goods or sweets or treats? Because my kids right now, I've got a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old daughter, and the two of them are in the kitchen frequently, but they're baking things. They're doing muffins and cupcakes and cookies and pies, and they're really getting into that side of it, but they never cook dinner. They don't cook dinner, or rarely do they cook dinner for us. It's more about the sweet stuff that they like to eat. (laughs) Did you say got into the sweet stuff too much. I was more interested in nailing how to make a red sauce. <laughs> okay. So Italian is my passion. So oh, I wow. every way I could Italian. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So, you know, you have a culinary degree from a very prestigious cooking school, Le Cordon Bleu. So I would love to know, and I'm sure our audience would love to hear, what was that experience like for you? And 
you lived and, and worked in Paris. You were surrounded by food culture. You're surrounded by, by passionate foodies everywhere you went, right? It's so much a part of the culture there. And I can only imagine what that experience was like. How long were you there? How old were you? And what was the experience? Well, I actually went to Cordon Bleu in Orlando, Florida. Okay, well, that's fine. But it's... So, but it was an interesting but journey. But you to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting journey for me. I was working in an office full time and absolutely okay. just miserable. I was like, I can't keep doing this. I need to follow my passion. I need to cook. Mm. I need to learn to... So I commuted from Tampa, Florida, all the way to Orlando every single day for the program. So it was a little nutty. And then I worked in the afternoons uh, part-time. So it was a very rigorous schedule. But I, I absolutely loved it. It was the best thing I ever did. And then after I left culinary school, I worked in uh, a fine dining restaurant you know, on Clearwater Beach here locally. Mm -hmm. And then I opened up my own business. Because I knew when I started culinary school, I wanted to be a personal chef. I had a long-term goal there. Let me ask you a question. If we could just stay on the Cordon Bleu for a moment. I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of, um, it must have been a rigorous program. And was it equally in-depth about the financial side of the business in addition to the culinary cooking side? I mean, do you literally get costing skills and menu design and all the things as if you're going to run a restaurant someday and it's not just about creating beautiful, delicious dishes. It's all about making sure it's profitable as well. And I mean, yeah. did you absolutely. learn a lot? You did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We went into nutrition and sanitation and then all the costing. And there's actually a course where you go through, they had a little cafe. So you would actually work in the cafe and serve people that the community would come in for lunch. So you got all that like hands-on kind of experience with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. We pretty much learned everything from A to Z. Right. And we did have a small baking portion, which I found was too sticky for me. <laughs> too sticky. What about the inspirations then? Because after you worked in Clearwater Beach at a resort, I think you had six or seven years of experience there. And I think it was then that you sort of had this eureka moment like, wow, you know, there's an opportunity out there to become a personal chef and to help others do the same thing. And I think that was the brainchild behind the Personal Chef Network. So what led you from A to B, that transition? What was that like? And, you know, obviously there were bumps in the road. You had a goal in mind. You kept at it. You persevered. You made it happen. Were there dark times, challenging times? Did it all flow together the way you had it in your mind originally when you came up with the idea? It flowed pretty well. I mean, I had, I really had the mission that I was going to become a personal chef, but I wanted some like culinary chops to back it up and I wanted the experience. So I stayed at the restaurant and I worked there part time as I built my client base. Because really it takes a while to get enough clients to fill your schedule when you're working for yourself. And then I continued to stay there just because I loved it and, you know, the other coworkers and and all that. So I, I enjoyed it very much. Mm -hmm. And it's been great, really. I mean, I've had a waiting list now for a number of years. Now, because you're, you're still helping others do what you've achieved, but yet you're still spending time cooking for others' private events, right? Mm -hmm. So 
I want to cover the whole thing. I want to, I want to inspire other people that this is an opportunity perhaps waiting for them if they've got the culinary chops. But I also understand that you work with people that don't necessarily have formal culinary training. Am I right? In, in Absolutely. So after my personal chef, personal chef business was yeah. going for a while, I, so many people would ask me, you know, how I got started and what did I do and how can they do what I'm doing? And it I really was reluctant to train people to do it. I was like, you know, I'll kind of figure it out. And then after they asked me so many times, I was like, all right, I got to put something together. So then I created the personal chef network from there. And yes, you don't need to go to culinary school. If you are a really good cook and you're confident in that, you can do this and I'll help you along the way. So I have some minimal training about fixing recipes and, you know, creating the perfect dish and things like that, that I can help them with. Yeah, absolutely. And we have like mastermind um, groups so that we can interact monthly. So if they have questions or they have concerns, they, I'm available to help them. All right. So is it sort of an a la carte program where you pick and choose what you need to learn? Or is it a complete templated system where for X amount of time, you're going to go through this coursework with me? And I'm also curious to know if you communicate with people via Zoom and email and, and you give them coursework to accomplish and then they have to sort of pass these courses. Tell us how that all works. So there is a website and there's a portal, a member portal that they will go to and they would go okay. through modules. So each module for four weeks, they'll have a different learning curve. So they're like the first one they would set up the business, you know, and then the next one, we're going to figure out the website and I'm going to teach them how to hold a test group. So then they get comfortable and then they can also get testimonials from that point. And then, you know, opening the business and starting to market. So after they go through the four week program, they should have a pretty good handle, but then I'm there to answer any questions. And there's, you know, a workbook and there's, uh, you know, forms that they can work with and such like that. Is there a typical amount of time it would take someone to complete the course in order for them to set up their businesses? There a timeline where I'm really motivated. I want to do this and I might not be a formal trained chef, but I think I'm a pretty good cook and I'm comfortable in the kitchen and I'd really like to do what you do and I'm willing to give it my all right now. How long is that process? Would you say? Does it, it really didn't take very long. You know, once you got all your licensing and you had your website built you know, you could start right away. I mean, really, within a couple of weeks, you could have your business up and going. Right on. So do you advise them in the business side of things as well, like setting up their company? Are they sole proprietors? Are they limited liability companies? Because there is a certain amount of liability there when you literally cook food on someone's premises. And then there's the, you know, the allergen thing that they need to know and all that. Yep, there's uh, a few training courses you can take for allergies. But yes, I go over how to set it up and what type of business you want to be, whether you want to be a sole proprietor or you want to be an LLC. We go through all of that in the program. Okay. Is it really, I mean, you could be cooking for a family, a, a regular family, or you could be putting on uh, catered events in people's homes, right? People that, uh, you know, they might invite 30 or 50 people over for a private dinner party, depending on the, on the venue, right? And you can be doing any of these things. And so obviously, 
We hear more and more about allergies and food sensitivities now. And obviously you work with the client to design a menu and then you ask these specific questions. Are you going to have any guests that have any peanut allergies because this could be a potential life-threatening situation or celiac or whatever it is, right? I mean, you cover all these things. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, you can, the dinner parties were great. When I first started and I'm trying to build my client base, Dinner parties are a great way to fill in and make some extra cash. I never did anything that large because you would have to hire staff. And I'm a person of one. And I'm, unless I'm going to hire someone to wait tables or to serve, you know, I don't. I would only do small parties of probably 12 sense. people. And then it would be sit down and I would serve them and everything else. So that's a. it's a great way to make a little extra cash. But yes, whenever I'm going to cook for someone new, I send them a whole questionnaire and it tells me it's a complete roadmap of their dietary needs and preferences. So I will know exactly what they like, what they don't like, and if they're allergic or sensitive to anything. Now, marketing plays a big part in this. And when you were first getting off the ground, like we mentioned the fact that you now have a wait list and you've got a reputation and, and word of mouth follows you and people have left you reviews, I'm sure, which has led to one gig, led to another gig, led to another gig, and then your network expands and all of that. Did it, um, you know, did it take much time for you to develop this or did it happen pretty organically and it just sort of one thing led to another and bang and, you know? It was pretty organic in the beginning of it. Now I actually market through a marketing company, but there's like social media you can use and networking groups. And then, you you know, your clients are your best people. They refer someone for you. You know, see, there's a number of things that you can do in order to find those clients. And you've got to remember, too, you only need a handful of people to get your schedule full. I mean, you're only one person. You only can be in so many homes at a time. So I'd say between five and eight people, families or couples or singles, whoever they are, that's all you really need to have your schedule full. And then once it's full, everyone wants to be on it. <laughs> right, right. And are you finding that a good cross-section of the market are looking for your services or, uh, as opposed to, you know, more affluent people? And obviously COVID is impacting this because people are tired of staying home, but yet they still want to be safe. And maybe they've done a little pickup and delivery, but restaurants are closed and you can't sit down now. It might be a while before consumer confidence comes back and all these things. But I guess I'm trying to get a sense of if I was a person looking to do this, I'm trying to figure out how I would bill out my time. And obviously working with a client to plan a menu is part of your time and then shopping for the ingredients is part of your time and then creating all this food is part of your time and then cleaning up and leaving. It's like all this gets factored in, yet it still has to be relatively cost effective unless you're a really wealthy family to do this. And you must find that balance, which I'm sure you do on a weekly basis with your clients. Can you tell us most about that? Of my, most of my weekly clients are more affluent. I do have a couple of clients that are monthly clients. Okay. So I just go in one month and I prepare like two weeks worth of meals. I package them individually so they can just pull it out as they need it. So it really depends upon the level of service that they want and how much I'm going to prepare. I see. How big would you say? I mean, you found opportunity here. Would you say this is a national sort of opportunity now? Um, and oh, literally, where, wherever you are, literally people might be looking for this service. So it seems like a great opportunity to me. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, there's people, everyone has to eat. So <laughs> there's a, and there's a lot of people that don't like to cook. So of I really course. think you can find it anywhere in the, con- in the country. So you mentioned you have certain foods that you are, well, you've been influenced by Italian cooking. You've partial to Italian cooking. Yeah, a lot of my clients are gluten and dairy free, so it kind of puts the Italian right. out the door. <laughs> that's hard. Yes, yes, that's, yeah. that's so hard. Yeah. So you know, but I'll tell you, most people want home cooking. That's what they want. They don't want these gourmet dishes. They want it. They want to feel like mom made it in there. You know, on the afternoon when they were at school. <laughs> so I make a lot of meatloaf. I make a lot of chicken dishes. I make pot pie. I mean, it's very simple food, but that's what people want. So comfort food, really. Absolutely. A lot of comfort food. And why I'm saying that if you're a really good cook, you can do this. Because, you know, we're not doing five-star meals here. And if you found a client that actually wanted those type of meals, you just tell them, you know, I'm not your chef for you. You know, I'm not the chef you need. So, I mean, really, you just have to market to your abilities and what what you can offer. And that's part of what you teach people as well, because one, there are influences that somebody might say, oh, I love cooking Italian, or I'm really a French-inspired chef or, or, you know, or cook. And then there's what the client's looking for, and the client might, might want meatloaf, right? But you got to be able to make, you, you know, you're, you're, right. you're dealing with... Yeah, exactly. All different clients that have different desires and needs and wants and all that sort of thing. And you may try to influence that client by saying, you know, I've got a lot of flair doing this. What do you think about that? And they may say, no, I'm not really into that. But you got to market to that broad network, at least until you get a following, I would guess. Well, you know, you really have to serve the client, and that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You can't be just cooking whatever you want to cook. Sure. I mean, they're paying you to come in, and if you want to keep your job, I mean, part of part of it is relationship building with the clients. I mean, you're in their home. It's very personal that you're there. You're around their kids, and especially now with the pandemic. I mean, all the kids are home. So you really want to cater to them, and, you know, it's, it's service. Now, what about kitchen limitations because every household is different and you might work with a completely beautiful commercial kitchen like you know the high-end viking stuff you know everything you could ever hope for is there and then you go into maybe an apartment kitchen that just has a microwave and a range and a refrigerator and it's like in a tiny space versus an expansive beautiful granite countertops where you can like and you got to find the balance between making it work in any situation that you wouldn't necessarily see until you you do site visits, right? I would imagine during oh, the planning process. Yep. During the consultation, I'll go to the house and sit down with them and check out the kitchen. But, you know, I have a client that they work from home. So, you know, I'm a little noisy when I'm in the kitchen. I got pots and pans and everything else going on. So he wants me to cook at his uh, mother's house, but it's a little teeny condo that she uses for the winter. Right. It's tiny. So I'm like half in the living room and I'm half in the kitchen and I got stuff everywhere. But you just make it work. I mean, it's it's all about the food and making good food and keeping the client happy. So, and I do cook in some gorgeous kitchens. I, I can imagine that you would, and and it, you could get used to that sort of thing, of course. And 
I'm thinking you go into a different situation and you almost have to take inventory. Okay, what do they have for knives? What do they have for pots? What do they have for pans? What do they have for, you know, everything? And you may have to bring some of your own sometimes or? I bring everything with me. The only thing I use is their stove. I have two large toolboxes. I bring absolutely everything I would need. And I go over that in the program too and show them exactly what they need. And a lot of people can just raid their own kitchen to fill their toolbox. They don't have to go out and buy it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially if you're a cook right. and you love to cook, you have half the stuff already. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. Uh, do you teach people about presentation skills and plate presentations and all this kind of stuff? It's not just about cooking the food. It's also about the way the food is presented to the client and the guests, is it not? It's not really because I'm packaging the food and a lot of times I'm freezing the food, especially okay. if it's a monthly client, I'm freezing all of it. So yeah, I want it to look pretty. I'll put a little parsley on top, but for the most part, it's going into a nice little container and going in their fridge or their freezer. So I don't really have to worry about plate presentation so much unless I'm doing a dinner party, gotcha. which I rarely do now. And do you always deliver the food in... Chef Whites, or in your case, I saw Chef Pinks. I have a different color chef coat for every day. So, and that's just my preference. You could wear a white coat if you wanted to. Sure. Yep, but I go looking professional, yes. You've traveled around the world, and we've already talked about Italy. I actually lived in Milan for a summer back in 1988 and traveled extensively through Italy many, many times. I'm influenced by that cooking. It's one of my favorite cuisines around the world. But you've been to a lot of different places. Have you had a chance to, you know, really partake in all sorts of cuisines? And do you still like to eat those, you know, those flavors from abroad? Well, of course, you know, Italy, I spent a few weeks in Italy and it was pasta every day and I was in heaven. <laughs> right. so, you know, absolutely. So I do enjoy, you know, traveling around and, and trying different regions and different foods. And, you know, it's, it's just fabulous and it's fun. It's really fun. It is for sure. Well, that's what food is all about, right? It's, it's something that unites people around the world, right? It's a common thread and it's about passion and it's about culture and it's about sharing time with family and friends it's not just about nutrition it's about all those things and absolutely and personal chefs you know we bring families back to the table and that's like my biggest tagline is because that's what we're doing so many people are separate or eating out or eating fast food or doing whatever they're doing you know so we're you know bring them back together and, and and have them enjoy a meal together that's already prepared now more so than ever, right? Absolutely. This is probably the worst crisis that has ever hit our industry. No one saw it coming. No one knows where it's going to end and whether it stops now and then it reappears again in the future. It's a really scary time to be navigating these waters, but we're all rallying together as an industry and people are helping other people and you know, raising money and funds and government programs. And it's like, we're doing everything we can. And the biggest thing now is consumer confidence and following government orders. And now when you're going into people's homes, obviously you probably have to wear a mask. You probably wore gloves before, but you're still doing all that. You're maintaining the social distancing thing and you're cooking in people's homes and you're making sure that everything is, is sanitary, everything that you bring in and everything that you leave with and and all that sort of thing. And this is probably a new challenge for you as well, because months ago you weren't dealing with this and now you are. 
Now you are. And absolutely, when you're you're shopping and in the grocery stores, yes, I'm masked and I'm gloved and I'm very careful. I have hand sanitizer with me all the time. And when I go into the house, I wash my hands immediately and scrub down the kitchen and just yeah. make sure everything is where it needs to be. So then they have a comfort level as, as well as myself. So that's the last thing you want to do is bring something into the house. Are you finding that there's a real cross section of the way people are reacting to the situation? And when you go to someone's house, some people are more reserved than they may have been pre COVID or they still want your services yet. They're keeping their distance and, or, or it's pretty casual. I mean, I'm seeing a wide variety of people's reactions, both in my own restaurant now. And when I go to the grocery store and some people are really loose about it and other people are super tight about it and it's everything in between. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have still have some clients, they'll just come sit in the kitchen with me while I'm cooking. But then I have others that won't come in the kitchen at all. In fact, I have one person who owns multiple homes, and they've been staying at one and having me cook at the other. So then I'm just preparing it, put in the fridge, and they come pick it up later. So absolutely, it's a wide range of what people's comfort level is. And I work around that. We know it's whatever they want. Back to service. Is there also sort of a, um, not that I... Not that I would consider this a brand extension, but it could be. I mean, are you offering culinary cooking classes as well besides, you know, teaching people how to be personal chefs? Is that an opportunity that other people watching this podcast could also do? You got a client. Some people are really hands-on. Like you said, they want to watch everything you're doing and they, they want to learn from it. And you can teach them as you go along. And that's sort of a competitive advantage that builds a relationship. Is that another profit center for you? Oh, it absolutely is, especially in the beginning when I was building my business. I would go in and do um, cooking classes in the private home, and they would invite everyone over. One fun one we did was we made pasta. So they had to roll it out. They had to put it all on the table, and they'd put the egg in. It would roll across the table, and we'd laugh like that. <laughs> yeah, and then right. we had to roll it out. Then they would cook it, and then someone would make a sauce, a couple of sauces. We'd do a white and a red, and then they would enjoy the meal afterwards. But I've done a number of those type of things. And yes, and they're very popular, especially around the holidays, because it's a great gift to give somebody. Mm -hmm. Can you recall any sort of mishaps that may have happened in any of your personal gigs that now you can laugh about, but it was a real nail biter when it was happening? Just <laughs> like that stand out. Well, you know, there's times when you're not paying attention, and you may burn something. And it's like, uh, then you have right, to like right. pack up everything and like, run out to the store real quick and pick up something, but nothing too traumatic. I have had the power go out one time and then I'm like, okay, well, hopefully it'll come back on soon. I've had the water get shut off. I was cooking in that little condo. They shut the water off. Like, oh, this is fun. So, you know, you just kind of work with it. Hope it comes back on soon. Otherwise you'd have to like pack up and tell the client I'll come back later. I know. I hear you. Well, I'm sure that, based on your, you know, your personality and that you can sort of, well, the show must go on anyway, right? This is, this is, not, we're not saving lives here. We're feeding people and it's about love and it's about creativity. And it's about everything that you put into it. And sure, the unexpected sometimes happens. We all make mistakes and I'm sure people are resilient and, and they just say, they just go very with it. Yes, yeah. they're very forgiving. Well, awesome. Do you have any best advice for our audience, if they are interested in what you do and how they do it, I mean, what is the most important thing or most important things for them to keep in mind 
as they think about this opportunity. And maybe, you know, we're going to obviously provide a way for them to contact you to learn more about the Personal Chef Network. But, but what's your best advice to people who are intrigued with what you do and would like to do the same? But to be confident in yourself and be confident in your cooking. You know, a lot of people are just are afraid to try. But, you know, don't be because you're never going to fulfill your dreams if you don't take action and move forward and do something. So really just be confident in yourself and I will help you the rest of the way. So your website is thepersonalchefnetwork.com. Is there any other way that people can uh, reach out to you, either in social media that you'd also like us to put into the show notes? Absolutely. I have a Facebook page, The Personal Chef Network. I'm also on LinkedIn, The Personal Chef Network. Yep. Fantastic. Anything else we've missed that you'd like to share with the audience or anything you'd like to chat about, either in your personal or professional life uh, that's all about cooking? all about cooking. I, I love cooking, you know, and I've loved it since I was a little kid. So yeah, I think people just need to follow their passions and, you know, not let that go. And, you know, when you're doing the right thing, all the right doors will open and it'll work out for you. I truly believe that. I do as well. That's great advice. You know, it's all about following your dreams and never stopping until you make those dreams come true because the sky really is the limit. And the day you quit, the very next minute, you could have been a raving success at being a personal chef. So I appreciate, I appreciate your sharing your time with us and your knowledge and your expertise. And I encourage the audience, if you're intrigued by Chef Donna and becoming a personal chef, you can learn everything at thepersonalchefnetwork.com. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Donna, thanks so much for joining us. We wish you all the best and stay safe out there. And thanks, audience, for tuning in and listening to another episode. We'll see you next week. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. That was great. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. What a great opportunity for a pivot in this episode, creating your own personal chef business. You know, even if you do this on the side, it's a great side gig. It's a great opportunity. It's a great new revenue stream. And it'll keep your skills fresh. And who knows where this whole COVID-19 thing will end up. This may be your whole new business idea. So really glad to bring Chef Donna G to your attention. You know, I've been specializing in menu costs and profit analysis lately. It's a pretty amazing thing. And it's so important now more than ever during COVID-19 when we have to have a menu that maximizes profit. And pre-COVID, you know, you might have been satisfied with your business. Maybe you were happy with your profits. Maybe you're looking for more profits. But either way, your menu is your biggest marketing tool. It's something that everyone sees, everyone orders from. And I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with or talked to who's Profits are all over the place on their menu. So what am I talking about? I do a complete deep dive into a menu and I determine that in most cases, restaurants are losing dollars, lots of dollars, because the profit that each item in each category contributes is significantly different. And unfortunately, the most popular items in the restaurants seem to be lower profit items. That means that, you know, low profit items are taking sales away from what's really maximizing your profit. Why don't you reach out to me and we'll have a quick chat about this. No obligation, of course. Roger, R-O-G-E-R, 
are at restaurantrockstars.com. In fact, my most recent client over the past six months lost a potential profit of $183,000 on their lunch and dinner menu only because lower profit items were the biggest sellers and they were losing dollars, not pennies, every time those items were sold. So again, reach out to me, Roger, at restaurantrockstars.com. Let's talk. I'm sure I can help you. Now, thanks for listening, and leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you're hearing, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.